Welcome to the Super Sentai Buddies. This is episode seven of the Spider-Man Who Loves Me, a podcast dedicated to the Toei production of Marvel's Spider-Man. Every week we watch an episode of the show and we share our thoughts with you, the listener. My name is producer Mark and with me as always is my co-host and buddy Brian. Brian, how you doing today? Ah, doing pretty well. Ignore, ignore the meowing that is probably going on in the background. Yeah, what is... It has, it has very temporarily ceased, but as we were setting up for recording, it just sounded like there were 19 cats in your house. What is going on? No, the, there? There, is, there is one cat. Uh, one cat. <laughs> That's that, a lot of noise for one cat. Oh, it is a lot of noise for one cat. Well, my cat injured his leg, uh, and he has been in a splint for about the past nine, ten days. <laughs> and he's an indoor outdoor cat. He injured himself indoors. Uh, <laughs> but that means he hasn't been able to go outside in that long at all. And right. uh, he is starting to protest. So we'll see <laughs> we'll see how how this goes. Listeners may be lucky enough to have the meows mostly muted out. I, on the other hand, will live with the meows all night long. <laughs> You're just going to have to suffer. Uh, so I know your cat pretty well. It's not hard to imagine him injuring his leg. Now, we've talked about it on some of our other pods. Your cat loves, I mean, he's a cat. Yep. He loves to jump and get on high things. And run. But he's not and... very graceful. No, he's terribly, terribly inept. Uh, there are <laughs> There are times when I will walk over and have to push him in a direction because, you know, he'll start grooming himself, but he'll be sitting on the edge of something. And so eventually he's just <laughs> going to groom himself and fall off of a chair or fall off. And, and this is not a recent occurrence. This has been years. Yeah, um, because unlike most cats who have kind of a built-in autocorrect on their balance, he does not. Nope. He'll just keep tipping until he falls. Yep. So... How is he doing with his weird peg leg sprint? Uh, he is splint. surprisingly quick with that as if it's not <laughs> in a splint at all, um, which means he has caught me in the head with it a couple times. <laughs> so he's just got like a blunt weapon. Uh, yeah, well, it's arm, it's not made him any more aerodynamic, I can tell you that. <laughs> is he still trying to jump and run around as though he is a perfectly healthy and able body. He is cat. mostly succeeding at that. Uh so <laughs> I, I I try to tell him that no, you gotta you gotta not do that so you can heal more quickly and uh anyway. <laughs> so I think the biggest development in our lives recently is that fall television has come back. Yes. Yes it has. And since this is a podcast primarily about a superhero show it should probably surprise nobody that most of what we watch on television is superhero shows. Yep, all the time, all of them. And also Riverdale, which is its own superhero show in a way. Yeah, in a yeah, Riverdale's just its weird own monster. But I mean, it's Look, I mean, Bessie, Cheryl Blossom has shot more people with arrows than Oliver Queen this season. So It's true. And as as messy as those shows get sometimes, it is very nice to have the Flash and the Green Arrow and even Supergirl back in my life again. Yep. Too many people in prison. I'm tired of the prison plot line. Ah, well, you know. 
CW only has a couple of tricks, I guess, in, in their Well, the problem book. is now they have so many shows that those tricks are obviously overlapping at the same time. And it's... <laughs> Look, I think Barry went to prison last season. Oliver and Archie are in prison this season. <laughs> Just... I, I think my favorite part of the various prison subplots is that the riot cops and underground prison fight club sponsored by the warden is in fact happening in juvenile detention in Riverdale yeah. and not not in the maximum security prison over in Star City. I, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, I mean, sure, Oliver's punched a couple people, but possibly as many as Archie has at this point. So, you know. So here's a question. When did Archie Andrews become one punch man? <laughs> he's apparently he's always been one punch man. But remember, like <laughs> Archie has never actually solved a problem in this show that didn't involve punching. Yeah, that 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 is a fair point. Look, Archie Archie has not solved anything with brains. That is what you need Jughead and Betty for. <laughs> yeah, because Archie is just the stupidest. Boy. Oh, he really is. Dear, dear, sweet, dumb Archie. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, anyway, that's that's not actually the superhero we're here to talk about today. Today we're going to talk about Plastic Spider-Man. Man. Oh. <laughs> I mean, we could, I suppose. No, nah, I just picked one at random. Uh, but before we get into this week's episode, Brian, shining in the heavens, there are five stars... What is star number one this week? So star number one this week is you, I, and friend of our show, Adam. Uh, we're on a bit of a Spider-Man marathon. Watching watching the Spider-Man movies from the first Tobey Maguire movie to eventually Homecoming. Yeah, it it sort of came up out of the blue. I don't remember why. It was, I think just driving home from work someday, you mentioned... That it had been a while since you'd seen the old Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Right. So it really was. Somehow that turned into a decision for us to watch them all. Look, it was a covert decision to justify just watching Spider-Man 2. And I figured that, well, you can't just watch <laughs> the middle movie of a trilogy. So so here we are dedicated to watching all of them. Yeah. Uh, on the whole, it's it's been fun so far. Yeah. Fun in various ways. Spider-Man 2 is... Uh, very different fun than Spider-Man 3. <laughs> so, speaking of Spider-Man's 2 and 3, what is what is actually the second star of the week, if we're going to cheat a little bit here? Sure. So, all, I mean, if you haven't realized already, the stars are just the Spider-Man. That's, yeah. All of our stars right. are going to be Spider-Man. So, star number two this week is the first Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire, Kirsten Dunst, Spider-Man movie. It doesn't hold Which, up as, a, as well as I would have thought. <laughs> yeah, that was my impression, too. I have very fond memories of that movie. Uh, I, I mean, the standard knowledge, and we certainly agree, is that Spider-Man 2 is the best of those films. Yes. Spider-Man 1 was pretty fun, and Spider-Man 3 is a train wreck. Oh, yeah. Uh, the most enjoyable train wreck this time around, but we'll get there in a couple stars. Yeah, on, on the rewatch... Spider-Man 1 really got a little raggedy around the edges. Yeah, I mean... And, and, 
and not necessarily from a like a graphic standpoint. We expected that. We're being very forgiving right. in the fact that these movies are 15 plus years old. And honestly, from a special effects standpoint, still looking pretty well because Spider-Man yeah. is flat out the most cinematic hero in the comic book universe. Just everything he, he does looks good. Yeah, he's built for the big screen, for sure. You know who isn't built for the big screen? That Green Goblin costume. Ooh. Oh, boy. Look, it was bad <laughs> back when that movie actually released, and it's still real bad. Still real bad. It is. It's real. It's real dopey looking. And I didn't realize how much the dialogue would suffer <sighs> when compared to kind of modern era superhero it movies. Is, it's very stilted most of the time. It is. And maybe the biggest thing I think we, and we started noticing it immediately in watching Spider-Man 1. It's not a surprise. People talked about it back then, but it is very stark now is the degree to which MJ is really just there to be kidnapped and saved. Yeah, I like it it gets worse as time goes on uh and she ends up with less to do, but boy howdy. Uh which is a shame because as we were rewatching Kirsten Dunst is probably one of the best people on screen in those films. Would, would it be fair to say that she is the strongest primary character in those movies? Uh, until, it, until we maybe get to, obviously, the villain of the second movie. Right, right, right. I mean, if you're excluding Alfred Molina as Doc Ock, then yeah, I think so. Uh Rosemary Harris as Aunt May, I think, makes a good run for it, though. Just she just her Aunt Mayness of it all. And that's a thing we'll talk about a little bit more in the fifth star. Right. I think. But she is a very good she's a very good Aunt May. And Kirsten Dunst is, is a great Mary Jane. She brings a, a lot of kind of pathos and heart to what is otherwise a very empty role. Yeah. They gave her very, very little to do, and she acts the heck out of it. Yep. Uh, and, uh, you know, before we move on to Spider-Man 2, because uh, this will be a recurring theme, boy, boy, are those narrations by Tobey Maguire bad. They really... I, like, I he, had... went, he went to the Harrison Ford Blade Runner school of voiceover narration. That is exactly right. And that, I think, is the thing that surprised me the most on the rewatch is just how... I mean, they're, they're awful. They're, they're awful in both ways. They're delivered awfully but i'm not sure there's a whole lot you can salvage from the written dialogue there either so here's a thing to note real quick and and it'll carry over we'll move on to our our third star in a sec you and i have a podcast along with our friends meg and lucas where we watch uh, hercules and xena yep so we are intimately familiar with the works of the bob tappert sam raimi kind of extended family of Hollywood. We know that team pretty well. And they have, I think it's fair to say, a very strong B-movie sensibility, right? Kind of a schlocky fun times vibe. Yep. And that still plays pretty well. It's a very different take. I mean, modern superhero movies are still goofy, but they're slick, they're fast-paced, they're blockbuster written. In a lot of ways, Sam Raimi 
still treat Spider-Man like a slapstick comic book, which it is at times. Right, yeah. I I don't actually think you would have to make that many changes to make that stand up much better. It's just, I mean, that was the best we were doing in 2001. Yeah, and and it's not a bad direction to take. It's 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 very fun in some ways. It's it's neat to see more of a B movie feel, and it's still it's big budget, it's it's big action, but it's a B movie in terms of the the kind of slapstick nature of some of the comedy, the direct kind of square to the camera angles, the like the sort of way the action is driven, especially in tense scenes, even the the dialogue between the villains and their internal selves, it all feels very kind of fun, campy Hollywood. And for the most part, I think that vibe holds up well. That's not really what's letting down the trilogy. Yeah, secretly, it's it's mostly Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man. It's Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man, and it's James Franco as as young goblin they're just not great no and again the dialogue little even for b movie a little schlocky and ham-fisted in places right. <laughs> a little too much i mean is it as ham-fisted as the fact that spider-man stands in front of more giant flags than captain america <laughs> spider-man i think secretly has a map where he has plotted out every <laughs> giant flag in New York. All right, all right, all right. Enough enough ground setting for the trilogy in Spider-Man 1. Uh, yeah, what is what is star number three, Brian? I'm going to tell you, it's Spider-Man 2. Which is, I'm shocked. Which is the best of these films. Um, it really is. And frankly, I would also say it's the best, including the Andrew Garfield films. And... While I'm not saying Spider-Man 2 is better than Homecoming, I'm not sure it is, I would give Alfred Molina the nod uh, for villain. Yeah, and Vulture was great in yeah. Homecoming, but Alfred Molina is just a tour de force in this movie. Oh, he's so good. And, like, he gets the same dialogue that Tobey Maguire is getting, but he makes that stuff sing. He does. And and this is, I think he's the perfect villain for the kind of B-movie vibe we were talking about earlier. He's a great fit stylistically for Sam Raimi as a director. It's a great marriage. Yeah. Uh, Doc Ock is also my favorite Spider-Man villain uh, and continues <laughs> but that could to be go to two this ways, day. Though. I mean, yes, you're predisposed to like it, but I think you're also predisposed to have a a more fine-tuned judge because you like the character so much you wouldn't want to accept a watered-down version. Right. Um, now, it also helps that I have a rule that Alfred Molina makes every film he's in better. Uh, I, I think you're right on that, yeah. Look, he's I... He's in some bad films, but he always does his part. I, I still really uh, like that Sorcerer's Apprentice movie with him and Nicolas Cage. He was in, if I'm not mistaken, that absurd and terrible Prince of Persia movie, right? I did not see that, but I think, did I see that? You may be right. I, it, it, Just every scene he's in, he's very good. And Doc Ock is a role I think he was born to play. Oh, it's just it's, a perfect marriage. It's so good. Uh, I mean, there's basically, nearly everything is good in Spider-Man 2. Uh, I mean, the that train sequence, I'd put that up with anything that is going on today. That train sequence holds up. 
It does. Yeah, graphically, effects-wise, it holds up. But more importantly, as a set piece and as a storytelling device, it works very well. And in fact, this is what I would say. I'm with you. I think on the whole, Homecoming is the better movie. And it definitely gives us the better Spider-Man. Right. But there is, I don't know that there's anything in it that gives us the sort of classic 70s era Spider-Man vibe as much as that train sequence. That is a quintessential comic booky, perfect Spider-Man moment. And you could argue maybe that the barge or the, I'm sorry, the uh, cruise ship in Homecoming gives you some of that. And that may be true. Right. But I really think that that train scene, both the combat, the kind of the showdown and the interaction with the like the people of New York after yep. is just a perfect Spider-Man moment. It's it's maybe 20 percent to Jesus. Yeah, there is that bit where like, they're passing him back over their heads. And he's he's sort of holding a crucifix pose. Right. That might be yeah, a, that might a bridge be. too far. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but just ah, just it's it's so good. Uh, one thing that we have <laughs> somehow forgotten to mention, just because it's universally understood and frankly would be at the top of performances, uh, J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah oh, Jameson. Yeah. Everything about the paper, everything oh. about the bugle is just perfect. We don't spend enough time with the Daily Bugle in this trilogy. No, no. they they The casting, the writing, everything about the bugle. It's even got Joxer the Mighty in there. Yeah, I just... Just uh, what what could have been, but <laughs> but no, we had to we had to go in really weird directions in the third movie. Uh, yeah. Speaking of that, shall we talk about the fourth star? I mean, it's kind of a black hole. But what is that that fourth star? You're right. Good point. This is uh the fourth star is a black hole because it's that third Spider Man oh, movie. Oh boy, where we take all of the goodwill we earned from the last one and just. Just flush it down. Oh, I have so many feelings on this. Um, before we get to them, Bruce Campbell is in all of these movies, and he's great. It would have he's been great. very interesting to see what would have happened if they had made it to a fourth movie, and it turns out he's Mysterio. I wanted that so much. Uh, but no, we got instead, this movie. <laughs> instead, though, that fourth movie was slated for, I think, 2011, and they scrapped it in favor of the 2012 Andrew Garfield film. So timeline-wise, that's what happened. Right. I I actually think that maybe, I mean, Tobey Maguire would have been too old by then, clearly, but maybe, maybe that film could have worked. It would have worked better than the Andrew Garfield sequel. Boy, howdy. Yeah, boy. But we're not here to talk about those. (laughs) We're here to talk about something worse, which is Spider-Man 3. Yeah, so we get, for my money, a very good Sandman. I think Flint Marco... Good performance, fairly, fairly interesting story, although very short shrifted. Right. Short shrifted by the fact that his entire motivation is held until the last two minutes of the film almost. Yep. Uh, we get a a good, but again, unnecessarily brief sort of emotional uh, disconnect between Peter and MJ and the weird friend slash love triangle of 
Pete, Harry, and Mary Jane. Right. And all of that is working, but doesn't have enough time. Right. Well, I'm, I would argue whether or not it's working, because the thing I think we really discovered in this movie, watching it again, is how long it takes the symbiote to actually bind to Peter. Yeah. Because that... Yeah, I did not remember how deep we were into the movie. Right, because that means at least 80% of the terrible things that Peter Parker does to Mary Jane Watson are not influenced by the symbiote. They're influenced by the fact that Peter Parker in this universe is a real big jerk. He is. Yeah, it's it's bad. And, and then we get a very half-hearted attempt at the Venom symbiote where we really only even see Venom a couple of times. Right. And he takes over just the stupidest Eddie Brock in history. Oh, jeez. I don't... Like, I I have to feel that, uh, as everyone knows, Sam Raimi was forced, basically, to include Venom in this movie. And I have to yeah. feel that he went like, okay, who is the worst possible person we could cast for <laughs> Eddie Brock? And then just for good measure, we'll throw in some Gwen Stacy, too. Because sure. Why not? Sure. Because we'll we'll make this love triangle even more complicated. Why is there a love triangle? I don't know. Why is Mary Jane now not a great actress when she was in film number two? I, I don't. Baffling. I, yeah. It's so bad. Why, why does Peter Parker demonstrate his evilness by combing his bangs forward over his eyes? Oh, why why None is there that sense. dancing scene? <laughs> I had forgotten that the dancing scene started with with Pete kind of cockily whispering dig on this. <laughs> oh. It was I, I think the experience of Spider-Man 3 because we're so far distanced from it now, it was actually really fun to watch it without a critical eye right yeah. we weren't going in expecting it to be good no no we were just sort of watching it to laugh at it right and it was it was sort of a it was fun to revisit uh, and also bernard the magical butler solves everything bernard is a man i need to know a whole lot more about uh, his story. He, you know he has he has some sass he does yeah bernard's got layers yeah uh just and, and man i could go so much deeper on this but we're at the 22-minute mark, and I really need to talk about that fifth star. So, Brian, what is star number five? Star number five is not the next Spider-Man movie. It's that Spider-Man game that's out on the PS4 that we will not spoil. I think that's what we're trying to do here. Uh, yeah, we'll avoid any plot spoilers, but we are going to have some light conversation about the nature and shape of different characters in this game. So if that's important to you to preserve, you might want to skip the next five minutes or so of podcast. Right. So that game is just, it's just the best thing. Holy cats, oh, is that game so much really fun. Is. It is. It is the realization of everything I've kind of ever wanted out of Spider-Man for quite some time. Uh, and also, yeah. oh, it's, everyone is characterized well. It, it's not an origin story. It starts eight years into being Spider-Man. So like the universe already exists around him. Yeah. Yeah. And it's okay. There's a couple of points I want to make here. So let me pull back to one. You were saying a minute ago that Spider-Man is, I think, inarguably the most cinematic superhero. Yes. He's certainly, certainly near the top. Yep. 
somehow this game manages to preserve that cinematic feel while putting you in complete control of the character. And it's wild. Like the movie feel, or I'm sorry, the game feels graceful and beautiful and and Spider-Man is nimble and adept and he's web swinging and he's diving through tiny openings and it just it all flows so naturally it's incredible yeah I mean it's you know it's it's basically very similar to the Arkham games model but where Batman feels you know bulky and Batman-ish the same concept in this game feels completely based on agility and speed and you know swinging around and shooting webs and all of that it's it's kind of amazing just how the games themselves feel very different despite having very similar mechanics yeah and at the heart of it really in the spider-man game you're doing what technically is pretty repetitive gameplay oh yeah but but somehow it always like it never gets boring. It never gets tiring. It always feels fresh and fun. It's just there's nothing better than being Spider-Man. Is what it boils down to. There's eventually a fast travel feature in the game, and you use it maybe I don't know two percent of the time because usually yeah. what you actually want to do is swing across the entirety of New York. Why wouldn't you want to do that? And here's the other. And you started talking about it a minute ago. The other spoiler-free point I want to make is that this game is not in any way beholden to any previous or currently existing Spider-Man canon. Yes. So it lives in the same Spider-Man universe that you will recognize. All of the characters are there. I don't think they took any dramatic liberties. It feels very... It stays in the lines of Spider-Man while at the same time reimagining all of the characters for 2018 in what I think is just the best possible way. Yeah, no, I agree. It uh, In many ways, the game was a revelation. And like, why why are we not doing this? Yeah. yeah. So you get a, spoiler free, you get a vital Aunt May who's not doing a Marissa Tomei thing. Yep. She's, she's doing an older retired lady thing. But she's vital and interesting. You get the problem that we had in the movies with Mary Jane having nothing to do is completely resolved. Mary Jane gets, for my money, one of the best possible treatments she's gotten anywhere in the Spider-Verse. Yep. Uh, You get some of the other characters you know and love, uh, maybe even some you wouldn't expect threaded in. J. Jonah. So, So part of the problem, a lot of these comic book properties face is that a surprising amount of comic books take place in and around newspapers. Yep. And Jay Jonah is sort of, he's the same character, but his role is reshaped in a way that makes sense for a modern media landscape. It's it's just everything works. It's so great. If you, you know, are not playing it, then I mean, I'm sorry. I, I'm very sorry for you. Yeah, I'm very I I had I had intended to play it initially like I do with most video games thinking, well, I'll just wait till it's 6 months old and I can get it for 20 bucks. And you you kind of spent a week or two playing it and told me like, "No, man, you need you need to get on this game right away." Well, I need <laughs> I need someone to talk to about it and I yeah. I'm very grateful to you for that cuz man, it's just 
it's really it's really fun and it has strong replay value i can see myself going back to this game oh yeah yeah all right that's uh that's a whole lot of spider-man talk brian how would you feel about some more spider-man talk let's talk more about (laughs) spider-man all right we are going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to talk about spider-man episode seven fearful hit song sing and dance to the killer rock yes that is what it's called (laughs) otherwise known as we don't have a budget for this episode change the apart and we're we're back we're back brian how did that episode strike you uh uh, well i mean at, at a certain point of my notes i have in large letters written it's so terrible uh and it seems pretty clear that they did uh they did not have a lot of money to spend on this episode in particular yeah they're or at least they spent zero dollars on writing on writing yeah and there are several extended scenes that get reused yep more than once yep and not not just the usual ones. I mean, we have the usual footage of Spider-Man crawling up and down the same building. Right. Uh, of uh, Leopardon firing the same shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not- but there's there. I mean, we'll we'll get into it. We open on just a rock band, a Japanese rock band. Yeah, I mean, they they certainly are a band, and it is it is put together. So there's this era of rock and roll. And keep in mind, this show was made in the 70s. So there's this era of rock and roll where the sort of popular image is a handsome guy or guys singing on stage and a bunch of kind of crazed teenage girls screaming their heads off for them. It was the Elvis model. It was the Beatles model. And it just became kind of a... Standard television trope for rock and rollers. And that is what we get here for a band. Did you write down the band's name? I should have written down I the band's I started name. to, and then I focused on how terrible this song is. <laughs> they are, they're a boy band, right? There's, I think, four of them. But the leader is Kobayashi Kataro, and he is very clearly... He is Japanese Elvis right now in this moment. Right. Oh, it was, uh, I did write it down. It was Kobayashi Kataro and the BB-5. And they are at first what seems like just at a, like a, at a venue giving a show. It turns out they're, they're on television, I guess. Is that what's happening I, here? I'm, I'm not real clear. I, again, focusing on Spider Boogie. This is not a good Spider-Man song. In in any so, sense, so they're they're playing, and there's a dude in like a shiny blazer with a big smile and a microphone. Japanese Ed Sullivan, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is it is Japanese Ed Sullivan talking about Kobayashi Kataro and his and his band playing their new hit song, The Spider Man. And it, you guys. This is a, like, 1950s Spider-Man boogie. That we will be told later 
is disco. Yeah, yeah. It, disco in that sort of... So in America specifically, like we imagine disco to be a very specific musical era. And in in Europe, disco still kind of just means like it's a nightclub. We're going to the disco. But this is, I mean, right? It's it's very definitely like nineteen fifties rockabilly boogie. Right. They just wear bell bottoms. Like that is the only they're, difference. Yeah, they're all wearing like bell bottoms, platform and sort of, shoes, sort of white sequiny suits. Like it's a very Elvisy look. And and the song, as far as I can tell, only has about two lines. And the line is either it's a Spider-Man boogie or let's all shake our butts to the Spider-Man boogie. Yep. That's that's the whole which I mean, I guess a lot of rock songs really only have a couple of lines. Right. So. But it turns out this performance is being broadcast to the nation because our boy Takuji is at home watching. Takuji, if you don't recall, is the little brother of the Spider-Man of the Yamashiro family. So while he is... I have concerns about his dancing. (laughs) I have concerns about everyone's dancing and frankly everyone's sense of taste in this episode. So here's my concerns about his dancing. I think he's supposed to be eight. Yep. Little kids are a blast to watch dance because they just cut loose. They go nuts. I love watching little kids dance. It's hel- I've got a seven-year-old. Mm-hmm. It's hilarious. They're jumping around the room doing ninja moves. They're, there's like weird ballet mixed in. Are, are, you, it's just, are you concerned that he is too restrained? What is this kid doing? Like his dance, it's, it's just him like very, very stiff as a board desperately trying to bop back and forth but he just looks like one of the you know those birds that like the toy birds with like the heavy beaks so that you push them down and they bob their heads up and down yeah yeah, yeah. that's basically takushi i mean i is it you know on a scale of one to badger dance how how is it <laughs> it does not even have the grace of badger dance. thank you uh so i i just None of that is important. It just struck me that this little eight-year-old, which I guess, God bless you, I, that's probably what I looked like when I was eight. I am not a graceful dancer. <laughs> but man, it was extraordinarily wooden dancing. That's, anyway, that's why his sister comes over and tells him to knock it off. Yeah, his sister tries to shut that nonsense down. And then Hitomi, who is Spider-Man's girlfriend, shows up. Because she would like Spider-Man to take her to the disco. Right. To see this band that she's apparently doing a story on, maybe? She says she's doing a story. She clearly has just caught the boogie fever. <laughs> Which somehow, inexplicably, is sweeping the nation. Right, yes. Uh, apparently not sweeping the nation right now is Spider-Man's dirt bike race that is apparently coming up, but not featured in this episode. Yeah, so so this is the probably the most dramatic tension we get in the whole episode is that Hitomi wants to go to the disco, but Takoya, 
Spider-Man's secret identity, Takoya is out practicing for a dirt bike race. He's always practicing for a race. I don't think I have ever seen him actually be in a race. I am endlessly fascinated by the existence of Takoya on the following fronts. Number one, he is Mm Spider-Man. And clearly he finds a dirt bike more interesting than being Spider-Man. Right, yep. Yeah, he is only Spider-Man when Spider-Sense goes off. He is not actively protecting the community. Number two, he has an attractive girlfriend who's really into him, who seems to be a real solid life partner, and he is definitely also way more interested in his dirt bike than in that. Yeah, he's uh, he's Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man 3 as far as bad boyfriends go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, look, man, you just... Every time... She says anything to him. He is negging her. It's wild. Yeah, he is he is a bad boyfriend. But she badgers him into going to the disco. So again, I will remind you that his attractive girlfriend says, hey, would you like to go to the club with me? And he whines and says, I, I mean, I guess I don't have any choice if you're going to make me. Ah, <laughs> oh, what does she Spider-Man. see in him? Because <laughs> it's I not Spider-Man. Not she doesn't know. So we step aside briefly from Spider-Man to find out what the Iron Cross army is up to this week. It's uh, it's about stopping some space science. Yeah, the narrator pops on. The narrator is what they use to bridge the narrative gap when things just don't make any sense. Narrator shows up a lot this episode. He sure does. And he pops on to introduce the... Space Science Research Lab. Yeah, space science. Space science. This is, this is, we are supposed to believe that this is Japanese NASA. It is just one weird, sad warehouse painted white. Yeah. And uh, the Iron Cross Army shows up with a lobster guy. I... Yeah, so inside the Space Science Laboratory are Professor Satome and Lab Director Murray, who are, and we only know this because the announcer tells us, who are working to develop a special high-frequency something-something detector. Right. Which can be used to track down the Iron Cross Army by way of, like, radio frequency. Apparently it detects if they're not human. As if that has been our primary problem up till now. (laughs) And as you point out, Brian, now the the Amazonist, who is sort of the military leader of the Iron Cross, shows up with the Ninders. That's our putties from this universe. And yeah, what appears to be some sort of weird lobster monster who spits like iron spikes out of his claws and or armpits or chest yeah it's it's real unclear where those come from also i don't need a detector to tell that this isn't human yeah that giant lobster monster yeah. whose name is sasura by the way that won't come up much, no it his name is they sasura. never do but uh yeah Sora's just walking in and straight up murdering every guard that is at this facility every single it, it one catches arrows in the chest it is this this show 
has no qualms with murder. Oh, so no. So many people die in Spider-Man. Oh, just, I mean, there 20 people alone get killed right here. Yeah, he's just, he is killing the entirety of Japanese NASA with metal spikes yep. that he is shooting into either their hearts or their brains. Uh, yeah, I, I have to assume there's probably laced with poison as well, because nobody's getting out of this alive. And to be fair, this is, I think, so far the most effective Iron Cross monster that we have seen so far, right? Oh, yeah. No, he's he's got no trouble. He is going to become bafflingly ineffective later in this episode. <laughs> yeah. But for the moment, he is just a, a nonstop murder machine. Thankfully for Professor Satome and Lab Director Murray, uh, Takoya happens to be precisely three three kilometers to the northeast. Yeah, I I I mean he couldn't just sense danger; he did have to identify where it was for us. I like I like this Spider Man's spider sense. It's it's. The way it functions changes by the episode. <laughs> it is it is the most plot-specific power I have ever seen. This week, it is basically just a police scanner. Yeah. <laughs> it lights up to tell him, hey, there's a crime in progress three kilometers to the southwest. So he hops on the bike, he gets in the spider suit, and... Something happens and the bad guys run away. Uh, well, first they all shoot at him and he doesn't move and all of the darts, for whatever reason, fall like a foot short. I, yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why everyone it, misses. The ninjas miss. It looks like Lobster he has misses. some weird force field up. He definitely doesn't. But they all miss at such a specific range that it looks like he's got some sort of invisible force field right. going it's on. It's not like he's dodging with agility. They're just, they, they need to aim higher. But yeah, he just and, shoots and a spider string and then everyone decides to flee. They fall back to wherever headquarters is. I'm still unclear as to where headquarters I is. I feel like it should be in space, but I don't know if that's true. I thought it was. I honestly thought headquarters was the bridge of a spaceship. But the Amazon is pops back and forth so quickly, I'm not sure that can be true. Uh, you know, if we did more space science, we'd probably find out. They did have some sort of cave headquarters last week. I don't know if they're still using that or if that was just a temporary headquarters for that specific monster. Couldn't tell you. Anyway. Inside headquarters, Professor Monster, the leader of Iron Cross Army is studying a couple of spiders. Because he, it turns out, is also working on some sort of autoacoustic, sound wave-based combat technology. Right. Uh, and at first, I'm like, oh no, is this band evil? I mean, in a way, they oh, are, because, yeah. you know, that that song is terrible. But no. The BB-5 is absolutely just jamming out in headquarters. Yeah. But in fact, we have cyborgs. Uh, okay, like we, this technology seems way far ahead of whatever other technology you're developing here. 
This is why are you why are you wasting all of that time kidnapping and mind controlling like the amount of effort they went into to create one ineffective soldier last week. Right. This this, this week he snaps his fingers and just makes four androids that look and act exactly like the real thing. I think more than four because aren't they five? Oh, five. Yeah. So uh, this is this is the same problem you have with Dr. Octopus which is, so, you've broken all of the barriers of known science as far as integration with man and machine in the hippocampus and, like, <laughs> brain surgery. Like, you've mastered all of that, but nobody cares about that. It's it's all about the precious trinium. I, I, no, it's it should <laughs> be about... <laughs> I, you have a thing. You've made major <laughs> leaps forward in, you know, cyborg cybernetics uh, everything in that field nope that's that's a side thing so it turns out the professor monster has effectively developed a like a a very high powered dog whistle except for uh, it, it works on spiders not dogs right i'm i'm not like are spiders known for having a particular range of of frequencies they can hear in can spiders hear i i I have no idea but he's been he's been testing on two whole spiders brian is he sure that it's not just like spider mating season (laughs) so here's my question about this because we're going to see in a minute that it works extraordinarily well he had better be using this technology Every episode for the rest of forever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because they, I don't think they ever figure out how to undo it. They just blow up the one. Right. Uh, anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Also, he has, he has, spiders sense vibrations. They don't have ears. Maybe so, that's it. Maybe it's, so it's vibrating. High, high frequency vibrations. Yeah, that's what's happening. That's, that's exactly what it is. Yep. And he has decided that the best way to get this high-frequency vibrator into the presence of Spider-Man is to implant it in a guitar in a cyborg copy of a popular rock band and then help be their promoter until they have the number one hit in the country. This this plan is insane. <laughs> it's, it's really bananas. But in the in the intervening time since we've been talking, there have been at least two more playthroughs of the Spider Boogie. Oh yeah, we're just we're including just... one in the base. Yeah, well, because they're for some reason these cyborgs have to practice. Yep, they do. So they go to the so so the the cyborgs are sent to replace the actual band and by replace uh we mean murder on a bus straight cold murder like they can't like no just dead 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 including the guy who looks like bill swirsky from uh snl yep nope all of them dead in a very weird plan that for some reason involves uh Sasora making a miniature version of himself. Yeah, I I did he poison our our lead Kobayashi? I I don't he basically makes himself the size of a keychain, waits until someone looks at him, 
and then just grows big and shoots them all in the neck. Yep. Yep. They're all they're all dead. I assume they're all dead because they don't come back. Yeah, no, they're definitely dead. They took they took iron spikes to the neck. Yep. Yep. Just wipe out that band. I, nobody's yep, going to ask any questions when this episode is over. <laughs> it's like, remember that band yeah. who had to hit single and then they all disappeared mysteriously? <laughs> so they go to the next gig, which conveniently is also the one that Hitomi has badgered Takoya into taking her to. Right. I, I do have to interject. Uh, I forgot the narrator when that happened told us they were the cyborgs. Thanks, narrator. I figured that one out myself. Yeah. In case you were unsure of which band killed which, yeah. it was in fact the cyborgs. Oh man, who what a different band. episode if like this band was warriors from the future and they killed the cyborgs. It just suddenly turns into a an episode of the American television program, The Monkeys. Yeah. Anyway, it's uh, it's time for Bad Boogies. So we go, we get treated to yet another rendition of that song while Takoya runs around dying because his head is splitting open. Because you'll recall, there's a secret special sound emitter in that guitar. Right. Presumably all spiders in a three kilometer radius are also having this problem. One would think so. So he just runs, yep. right? He just runs. I mean, his his girlfriend is mildly concerned, not concerned enough to keep up with him, which I think is probably intentional. No. Yeah. So. Now, the Spider-Man runs, he leaves and the announcer comes back to let us know that the space science laboratory has been moved to like a villa in the country. Right. Because villas famously more easily defended than labs. <laughs> And not like a top secret villa owned by a mysterious benefactor that nobody knows. No, it's just this guy's house. It's, they literally just moved it to the professor's house. Yeah, they'll never find him there. Yeah, unsurprisingly, the bad guys immediately show up. Like, they're not even finished moving the boxes and the bad guys show up. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's not good for the chief scientist. Spider-Man also shows up, but his head is still thumping because he's still within whatever the, the like the three kilometer range of the effects of that guitar. Right. I think that's how it was explained to us. Yeah, it's they they had this venue right next to the villa or within range. So when he drove to right. the villa and he's weaving all over the road, it's too dangerous to drive. So let's leave the GP7 in the middle of the highway. Yep, and then he just gets his neck sliced open. Yeah, yeah. So what I don't understand is what happens now. So the bad guys invaded the villa. Yep. Spider-Man was powerless to stop them. Right. He flees up into a tree. Lead scientist got totally dead. Yeah. Yeah, that scientist absolutely gets dead. Yep, don't know why we even bothered to give him a name. And I think Spider-Man just goes to bed? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of the boogie still going on because that boogie, I swear, is under... At a certain point, it's just the soundtrack to every scene. Every single scene. It is. And, uh, because the next scene we get is Hitomi 
like taking a picture of the band to her editor. Yep. Meaningless. None of that. That's not an important scene. Well, it's just there, I think, to illustrate that the thing is getting popular. Well, it is that. But remember, her boss is secretly the Amazonist. And this is part of the plan. Oh, yeah. That's right. To get it. to So it's it's a big hit. And apparently there's some weird psychosomatic reaction going on because now now anytime he hears the song within three kilometers of cyborg band or not, uh, it's it's just terrible. And I get it because my brain is melting as well, because by this <laughs> point is... in the episode, it's like the 12th time we've heard this spider boogie. I hate it. So that much. is the only explanation for what happens next, because the episode explicitly spells out to us that it is the device in the guitar that is making this happen. Right. And yet, Takoya hears it played on a record player. Yep. And he's clutching his head as if he is still in pain. Yeah. I mean, eventually, you know, he's going to go to the safe location where the director is uh, at that mountain lodge, which is also right. a way safe place. He's like, oh, it's your animal conditional reflex. And basically explains to Takoya that this is a Pavlov's dog situation. They're like, yeah, yeah, now every time you hear that song, you're just doomed for all eternity. We're immediately going to undo that. Yeah, so on the way, on the way to the science lab, he he just tours Japan destroying jukeboxes. Oh, yeah, I forgot. There's a long time. He gets punched in the face at a certain point. Because we need a good montage so that we can play the spider boogie oh, again. I hate it so much. <laughs> like, I get where he's coming from. The struggle is real. Yeah, so yeah, he does explain to him that it's it's basically some sort of instinctual built-in thing now. He has learned that this song causes him pain. And so when he hears the song, he feels pain. Right. We cut back to the secret base because the bad guys need to explain to us that their record has now sold over two million units. Right. It's are they are they secretly selling this record to actual people? Is that I think they're is, the promoters? That, well, I know they're the promoters. No, what I'm saying is in the real world, is this an attempt to get the spider boogie to catch on? I, th- I think it is. <laughs> I that that is truly the most nefarious million, thing of all. Two million is the magical number we needed for for this plan to go into effect. Right. I I think the idea is how just hear it all the time and be completely completely done, donezo. Goodbye, Spider Man. So does does two million copies? Does that make it a platinum album? I don't know. I could look it up, but I don't want to. Yeah, I, do, I don't remember either. <laughs> I thought look, it was a million to get gold, but I think now I think I'm just making that up because I, a million feels like a good round number. <laughs> look, I, I feel like the only thing I know about the recording industry is from that episode of MathNet about payola. So, <laughs> so that's all I got. So now that the now that the song is everywhere in Japan, Iron Cross initiates phase two of their plan, which just seems to be kill the director. Yeah, I think this is more like a one B of the plan. 
Well, but they didn't need two million things sold to kill the professor. Well, it worked fine. It worked fine. Why did we need to wait? I, I, I'm not sure. Look, they they have investments. You know, they got to turn a profit <laughs> at this Iron Cross army. But it is great because the professor is still apparently operating out of the villa. Uh, no, this is a mountain lodge that probably looks exactly oh, that's like right. the villa. That's right. Mountain lodge. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the band just sets up like in the parking lot. Right. Which, again, the way this is described shouldn't matter. We can just play a uh, a record and it will have the same effect. Like, this is now deep within his soul, I thought. Yep. But so the real life band is here. And would, Brian, would you like to know how Spider-Man solves this this problem that has been plaguing him for what has to be weeks now? He shoots it a lot. He just gets into the GP7. He drives up, and it's like, why are you in the GP7? Oh, because the GP7 has machine guns. Yeah, he just lights them MFers up. <laughs> just, uh, and the only thing I could think is, what if it was the real band? <laughs> I, I, I mean, the solution of shoot the thing has been available to you for some time. Right. Maybe, well, maybe he had to wait till the band was like not in downtown Tokyo. Right. That probably would have been bad had he decided to shoot the band while the thing was going on. I mean, it would have been clear that they were revealed to be robots as they are here. But uh, yeah, so the band stopped playing and apparently all that psychosomatic stuff is tied to the band existing because that immediately goes out the window. Yeah, the the director, the science director, even teases him by playing the song in his ear a few minutes later. Yeah. But yeah, it's all gone. Spider-Man is fine now, and he heads for a basement showdown with the remaining Ninders and... Lobster Man. The Lobster Monster, whose name I forget. They're completely unforgettable. They don't... They don't mean anything. And uh, yeah, it's Sasura. Yeah. So Sasura, who you may remember, has the ability to fire precisely targeted iron bolts at a high rate of speed out of his own very body. Right. So he forgets to do that when he's in the same room as the director, because that would have ended that real quick. And he forgets to do any of that for about the first half of the battle with Spider-Man. And so Spider-Man is just crawling on the roof and Lobster-Man is running around beneath him, just like futilely waving his arms in the air like, oh, no, I can't reach him. You have foiled me, Spider-Man. What am I to do? Yeah, it's and then they run outside to a very convenient and also totally not anywhere near here. Uh, Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom rope bridge. What? Yeah, so that's what I wrote now. So that, so, so Spider-Man's just crawling around on the ceiling. He drops a net over most of the bad guys. And then suddenly we are just fighting on a rope bridge over a dam that leads to a waterfall. And yet we're not really going to use any of that to our advantage. Very cinematic. None of it matters because we're just going to hop into Marveler. We're going to change Leopard on. And that is the actual end of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, 
Arcturan Sword Vigor Bam. And just just to let you know, as far as padding of this episode, we definitely get the long transformation. Yeah, we do. Like the the transformation from Marveler to Leopardon to all of that. That probably takes more time than this monster has had on screen the entire episode. Look, I could have washed my hair while Leopardon was changing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and it it's it's set up very cinematically on this crazy bridge overlooking a waterfall. Nothing. Just it just doesn't matter. Nope. And matter. and then we have our little stinger of oh hey I guess you're immune to this now because I'm playing this on a recording. <laughs> Which makes no sense, so, but... Body count this week is, what, 30 plus? Oh, it's, it's significantly higher than one would expect. I mean, the band alone is five. Yeah. Man, what a mortal blow that's going to be to the Japanese music industry. Seriously. Uh, they just lost the next Elvis. You know what that means. That means that this is going to go, like, multi-platinum. That's a good point. Yeah, that thing that that one song should sell really well post mortem. So really what we're saying is ultimately does the Arm- Iron Cross army win? It feels like it. <laughs> this is this is uh Japan's the day the music died. <laughs> so are, are, are we done? Are we that's a lot I, of Spider-Man. It is it is a lot about. of Spider-Mans. Uh, our our Spider-Man episode did very little Spider-Manning and a whole lot of Spider-Man boogieing. So, did that song Spider-Man play under boogieing? like twenty minutes of a twenty-four minute episode? Is that is that accurate? That may be mild hyperbole, but it was way over fifty percent. Look, it played more often than the Spider-Man theme song that goes under every fight that happens. Yeah, and that's a feat. Yep. <laughs> All right, I think I think we will be done talking about the various spiders man for this week. Sounds Sp- spider, sounds like a spider man, spiders, spider, spidered man. Yeah, spiders man. <laughs> so I will remind you that this is the Super Sentai Buddies program under the banner of the Super Sentai Brothers podcast, and you can find them on Twitter. On Facebook at Super Sentai Bros. You can email them at Super Sentai Brothers at gmail.com. You can find the program and many of the other fine retrograde orbit radio programs at retrogradeorbitradio.com. And if you like the show, and Matt Matt always throws this in, I like to spend an extra minute begging. If you do like the show, not this nonsense that Brian and I do, no. but the real show that, that Matt and Dave do and have been doing for four dang years now, drop a review on iTunes or whatever whatever podcast distribution you use to listen to this program. Rate it, review it. Those things really legitimately do help the program reach new listeners. I think that'll do it for us. Brian, anything you wanted to plug before we get out of here? Uh, no. So until next time, I am producer Mark and I'm Brian and we will see you next time for the greatest show on earth. Let's go. 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 Let's go.
Boogie, boogie.